Welcome back to Corona Apocalypse 2020. It's Wednesday, March 18th. This is the second part of the introductory episode. And this time I'll be talking about some of the recent history and potential economic fallout of this pandemic. And I'll be looking at numbers. How many people are currently infected? How many recovered? How many haven't? And who is most at risk and why? Hey guys, math may be hard, but let's not go shopping yet. I'm Simon. I'll be your guide to the coronavirus present and future. Let me drop you some knowledge. Everybody knows the storm is coming fast. The day will soon be here. When those who are caught unprepared will be the first to fall, that much is clear. the fan can you stand your ground and survive while there's people crying people dying everywhere around now let's start with the numbers i'm going to be throwing them hard at you so if your eyes glaze over when you start hearing digits this might be a good opportunity to go get a coffee i'm using the reference information from worldmeters.info, which seems to be the most up-to-date. I've looked at a couple of different sites, including the John Hopkins tracker and the COVID tracking project, and they're all a little bit outdated. So from yesterday to today, in the United States, as expected, yesterday we had about 6,500 corona cases known. Today, over 8,300. And in that interim, we've had 25 additional deaths. Overall, in the entire world, we have gone over 200,000, now approximately 217,000. And of those, right now, 94%, about 117,000 cases of the known ones worldwide are mild, meaning that they probably don't have any need for hospitalization. Of the ones that have already been known, 93,000 of them have closed. That means that they reached some sort of outcome. Here's where the numbers start getting a little bit frightening, however. Those cases that were closed, 90% of the people recovered, were discharged if they had to be hospitalized, and this includes the mild cases. However, 10%, nearly 9,000 so far, have resulted in death. That's a number that's not being reported so far. What we talk about and what we hear about is the case fatality ratio or the case fatality rate. That's something that has been a bit controversial because it basically takes the number of deaths divided by the number of current cases, which, if you think about it, will never be an accurate or predictive measure of what the actual fatality is. It's a descriptive number. It basically will tell you how many of the known cases ended up resulting in death. And what the number that has been most quoted came from the World Health Organization, and I think it's a couple of weeks outdated. That was 3.4. That meant of all the known cases, 3.4% of them resulted in death. That number is meaningless now, for a large part because Italy. 
Italy has had currently 35, nearly 36,000 cases, of which they've had nearly 3,000 deaths. So if you think about that, for Italy itself, the case fatality ratio is 8.4%. That is an astonishing number. If you look at their closed cases, however, it's even scarier. So far, they've had just over 7,000 cases that are considered to be closed or have had an outcome. And of those, 4,000 of them were recoveries and 3,000 of them were deaths. That means 57% recovered of the cases so far, 43% within the period of time since the coronavirus was first found in Italy have resulted in deaths. That is a frightening amount to think about. But why is that? And what does it mean? Well, Italy has one of the highest median ages in Europe. Depending on the sources you look at, it's either 45, 46, 47, I've seen as high. That compares to a median age in the United States of about 38. And in Italy, the majority of those who have died from coronavirus have had a median age of above 80. So you can see how deadly this is to those in that age bracket. So what about the United States? New York State now leads the nation in the number of coronavirus cases. They've got nearly 2,400. But, and here's the important part, they've been running the most tests. They have had nearly 14,600 tests run so far. In contrast, Oklahoma has run about 517 tests, of which about 30 have come out positive, meaning 30 people have been confirmed to have COVID-19 in Oklahoma. But because of the limited number of test kits that are available and the capacity that Oklahoma, like many states, has to even run them, they don't have a good handle on just how many cases in the community there actually are. And until that's known, it's purely on gut level that the cities of Oklahoma City and Tulsa have both instituted mandatory measures to close businesses where people might be contagious and pass that on through the community. Hopefully all this talk of numbers hasn't scared off those of you who stuck around when the numerophobes left. But let's all get back to it. Let's talk about the historic changes of this last week. These are really some mind-bogglingly massive policies and efforts on the international, national, and local level to combat this virus. It's safe to say that this is a black swan event, something that we would not have thought would be possible, and yet here it is, akin really to the 100 years ago 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. We're really living through that level of history. And it really kicked off within this last week when on Wednesday, the World Health Organization, the WHO, declared that COVID-19 had reached pandemic levels. And it called upon all the nations to fight this together. All countries can still change the course of this pandemic. Within hours of that, 
President Trump goes on television to announce some policy changes, including to keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. And that hit the airline industry and travelers with total surprise. They had no idea it was coming. Air France KLM shares, already down nearly 60% since the outbreak hit Europe, dropped another 15%. Which sent the financial market into a panic. The next day, March 12th, the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 2,300 points, 10%, nearly a record that was exceeded four days later when the Dow Jones dropped 3,000 points. In all, just over the course of a few days, the market had plunged back to 2016 levels, erasing all of the gains that had happened during the Trump administration. This is unprecedented. In fact, if you look at the percentages, the March 16th drop is only exceeded by the crash of 1987 Black Monday. And of the top five, the only parallel is 1929 and the great crash of October that kicked off the Great Depression. And that's potentially what we're looking at here. March 13th, Trump declares a national state of emergency. And the White House then followed up with even further economic rescue plan, including direct payments to individuals. That's something that had already been floated by both Republican Mitt Romney and Democrat Chuck Schumer, along with certain presidential candidates that will remain nameless. Now, by that weekend, the Center for Disease Control had a guideline out that recommended canceling, postponing events that had 50 people or more. And they gave examples of that were mass gatherings, including conferences, festivals, parades, concerts, sporting events, weddings, any other type of assembly. And the very next day, the White House undercut that and said, nope, if it's over 10 people, you can't have it. And why don't we just close up all businesses? And that's what we saw in places like Tulsa, where businesses, bars, restaurants, bowling alleys, gyms were told you can't open. So suddenly all of these people who would have a job are sitting at home. They've got no income coming in. This is where the economic situation may far exceed the damage that will be done by the actual health crisis. Seeing the writing on the wall, the administration and the Republicans put together along with Democrats, a number of stimulus packages with the intent to pump up the economy while it's still trying to get over the effects of the coronavirus. So just today, just the Wednesday, the president signed a bill that had just gotten through the Senate and four days earlier had been in the House. It's unprecedented how quickly this has gone through. This has got to be a historic first. Mitch McConnell virtually hand in hand with Democrats to do a relief package that included paid sick leave, up to three months of paid emergency leave, expanding unemployment and health care insurance, offering free COVID-19 testing, and a billion dollars in food assistance. And there's even more coming down the pipe. The phase three, which is currently being negotiated with the White House, is going to be aimed at small businesses, but may have additional payments 
to be given to individuals. The Treasury Department itself got into the act and suggested that there would be payments broken up into two parts, $250 billion in April, $250 billion in May. So apparently all it really takes is a pandemic to turn Republicans into socialists. So if you made it this far, you might realize that I kind of forgot to talk about some of the things that I was supposed to, like how infectious is this virus? How do you avoid catching it? And if you do get it, how do you avoid being contagious? Plus, I was going to do some updates about this vaccine, the trials of which just started on Monday. So I guess that's going to have to be for it for this episode, and I will include more info next time. Hey, if you've enjoyed this in some way, or if you don't, why don't you drop me a message? Maybe you'll appear in a future episode. Just go to anchor.fm slash COVID-19 slash messages. You can record one there. Thanks for listening along. And remember, folks, wash your hands for 20 seconds and avoid touching your face. Didn't your mom tell you that? Everybody knows the storm is coming fast. The day will soon be here. When those who are caught unprepared will be the first to fall that much is clear.